I don't think he was kidding really about that. I think I, that might have been true. But uh, let's uh, let's start in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for uh, tonight, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, and Lord, I just thank you for every person here, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that just made an effort, Dear Heavenly Father, to come out to seek you, Lord, to just to see what your word might say to them, Lord, and Lord, I just pray that nobody would leave here disappointed, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that um, Lord, that just uh, every heart, Dear Heavenly Father, that is seeking you, Lord, seeking to hear from you, uh, Lord, would walk away, Lord, knowing that that you did speak to their hearts, Dear Heavenly Father. And, uh, Lord, I know that that would be done in spite of me, dear Heavenly Father, not because of me, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray that uh, that your word would be made clear, dear Heavenly Father. And, um, Lord, just uh, I thank you, Lord, for just your goodness, Lord, your mercy, Lord, that you just show just moment by moment, dear Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, we got more people here than I've seen in a little while on Sunday night. I think people might have thought Manny was speaking tonight, I think. But now, praise God that, that we're here. We're in uh, Psalms 42, if you guys want to turn there. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. But uh, Psalms 42 is, is where we are. And uh, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a, it's a psalm that, that uh, um, is beautiful because it's just a heart pouring out. But uh, it's also uh, sad in a way, yet hopeful in a way. And, uh, and you know what, I was really, really blessed by, by reading it. Um, let's go ahead and read chapters 42 and we're actually going to do 42 and 43 because uh, they're very similar and they look like to me as I read them they, they kind of go together and uh, so let's go ahead and start at the beginning <clears throat> it says as the deer pants for the water brook so pants my soul for you O God my soul thirsts for God for the living God when shall I come and appear before God my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitudes. I went with them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his, for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hills of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the, no, at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemy reproaches me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, for the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. 
and on the harp I will praise you. O God, my God, why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Like I said, it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm, you know. And uh, and as you read it, uh, the beginning of it, there's kind of a title for it in my Bible. I'm probably in yours. It says a yearning for God in the midst of distress, you know. And I mean, that's something that I think we can all identify with is distress. You know, where there's times that we've we've all faced that, you know, it just you can't see the light at the end of that tunnel. And uh, so it's familiar. It's familiar to 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 uh, this writer here is familiar to us <clears throat> it says that it was to the chief musicians a uh, contemplation of the sons of Korah and you guys remember who Korah was right we read about him in numbers we read about how he was swallowed up you know after uh, just opposing Moses and these are his sons and in the commentaries that I read it said that that uh, that his sons were were put into uh, a position of of uh of praise you know his sons were spared and uh evidently they could sing and evidently they were pretty good at it so david kind of put them together in in singing these psalms but um it, all the commentaries that i read it it pretty much gave david uh the uh uh as the author of these psalms and uh so you know what i as i read different commentaries and chuck smith said it was probably david spurgeon said it was probably david I say it's probably David, you know, so um, it just says that the way the way it's written, the way it's phrased is very similar to other psalms that David wrote. And uh, and so uh, we're going to give him the credit, you know, so and uh, so most of the commentaries that I read, <clears throat> they also say that that uh, that it was probably during the time it was written during the time that he was running from Absalom, his son. Um, I don't know if any of you know the story. We're going to kind of glean over it a little bit. But uh, there was a, a time in his life that Absalom was chasing him, was trying to dethrone him, and uh, was chasing him off of the throne and out of Jerusalem. And, and so he was on the run. And it's kind of funny because the last time I, last time I, I spoke, um, it was on chapters like 32 or 34 or something like that. And it was a psalm that David wrote when he was on the run from Saul, you know, and, uh, and it was a, it was a really deep, uh, uh, study and I was really grateful for going over it. And, uh, and then this time I get it and it says, you know, he had, he's running from Absalom. So I'm not quite sure what Manny's trying to tell me. He's, you know, stop running or, 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 you know, or what the, uh, what the connection is, but I seem to always get David on the run, but, uh, but here he is, you know, he's on, he's on the run and, and he's running from, from his own son. If you guys want to check out that background, and I think it's very important because it really gives kind of the background. It kind of gives, um, I don't know what you would call it, man, just just kind of like you get a, a much better and a much richer flavor for what David is writing here if you get an idea of the situation that he was in. And uh, so if you guys want to turn there, we're going to turn to Second Samuel. <clears throat> We're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And again, this is uh, concerning Absalom. If you guys aren't familiar with Absalom, uh, he was one of the sons of David. He had a lot of different sons. Um, he was a son of Haggith, you know. 
how many how many wives David had and how many sons he had. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, you can ask you can ask Manny after service. But I mean, there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. And so Absalom was was a uh, uh, just a just a bad dude. I mean, this guy was just. Um, as you read, as you read about his life, this dude was just slimy, man. He was just slimy. The way he he just worked behind the scenes and and the way he just kind of conspired, man. I mean, he was just just not a good dude, <clears throat> a good looking dude, evidently. Um, it says that there was just no blemish on him, you know. I mean, this guy was just uh, uh, for his, I guess, for his day, man. Just was the uh, you know the, the whatever, man. Uh, Tom Cruise or or uh, Brad Pitt, if you ask my wife, or <laughs> you know, or I don't, I don't even know who the hot guys are right now, you know. But you know, you, you could probably ask ask my wife later, or or uh, you know, any my daughter or something, man. They could tell you. But um, but you know, of his time, he was he was just the guy, and uh, and like I said, just a slimy guy. Uh, well, in fact, look a little bit further back to 1425, and you, you know, you get it right there. If you want to look in Second Samuel chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five, it says, "Now in all of Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him." It says, "And when he cut his hair of his head at the end of every year, uh, he cut it because it was heavy on him, and when he cut it, it weighed." Um, it weighed about 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. So evidently, the guy just had Fabio looking like hair. And, and you know, he was just a, a good-looking guy. So, I mean, there there we get that background of who he was. Like I said, he was one of the sons of, of David. Um, let's jump down to uh, 15. And it says, And after this happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Well, you know what, just to give you a little more background on Absalom, I tell you what, I got stuck in reading 2 Samuel for this whole thing because, <laughs> because as I found out that it was basically, you know, that was the, the, the basically the background for, for Psalms, uh, I started reading 2 Samuel, and it sucks you in. You know, it sucks you in as you start to read um, because, man, it reads like a, like a, like a thriller, you know, it reads like like a movie, you know, and, uh, you know, it, and it's crazy because, you know, Absalom um, before before all this happened, before this, um, it, it was crazy because um, uh, David had another son, Abnon, and he was in love with his stepsister and he found love with her, ends up raping her, ends up raping uh, uh, Tamara and Absalom, that was Absalom's full blooded sister. And so, man, he was just angry about that, and he ends up, he ends up killing him. And when he kills him, he runs off to you know a, a far land, and and because he knows you know, man, I just committed murder, I just killed this guy, and this is you know, this is my my brother, the the king's other son, and you know I'm gonna pay for this, right? So he runs to go hide. Um, he ends up wanting to come back, and so. He actually gets to come back uh, with some prerequisites, man, which is stay away from the king. And and so um, here where we're going to start off at, just so that you know, what we're starting off is, is he's come back now. He's come back now to Jerusalem, back to the palace, and he's going to start to conspire because he wants to be king. And, and so here we jump off into verse 15. 
It says, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run behind him or before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say to your to uh, and he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that if I were made a judge in the land and every and everyone who had any suit of cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him up and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted towards all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So here he was. What he did is he started to conspire. He came back. He got forgiveness from, from David. And the first thing he does is start to conspire about, man, how am I going to become king? Right? And so he figures, okay, this is what I need to do, man. I need to go out to the city gates. And as people are coming in, and you know what, man, I'm just, I'm going to sweet talk them. I'm going to sweet talk them. I'm going to get them to just liking me, right? I'm going to tell them, you know what, David, the king, he doesn't have time for you, but I have time for you, you know? And he, man, he just starts to suck them in. <clears throat> Got to see where exactly I was going to read to. Okay. And it says, and it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron. And pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur, in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. Now here he is, he's lying. He's saying that, that he's saying, You know what, Dad, let me go back to where I was hiding out to go make a sacrifice. Because when I was hiding out, you know, I asked God that if he got me back here, you know what, I would, I would go back and pay like kind of a sacrifice to that, you know. So David says, Yeah, but he's a, he's a big liar. And at verse 9, he says, And the king said to him, Go in peace. And so he rose and went to Hebron. And then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom, and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently, and they didn't know anything. And then Absalom sent for I can't even say Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city from Gilo. While he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong for the, for the people, with Absalom continually increased in number. And then this is the, uh, the sad part. It says, Now a messenger came to David, saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants, ready to, to do whatever my Lord the King commands. You know, what is David doing here? You know, this is, this is where we see um, 
man, it made me sad, man, when I read that. Because, you know, I kind of knew the story. You know, I kind of heard it before. That's kind of rude. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I had heard, I had, uh, heard the story before. Um, but, it, you know, it made me sad because here we see David, you know what, he, he doesn't cry out to the Lord. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, Absalom's mounting up this army. You know what, I need to go pray. You know, I need to see some, seek some counseling. You know what, I need to prepare to fight. You know what, man? He says, man, let's get out of here. You know, that fear strikes him, you know, in his heart. You know, I'm not exactly sure why, you know, it doesn't really say, but if you kind of read into it, um, and even the, the back story of it, um, David wasn't really walking with God at that time. He was kind of just going through the motions. He was doing the ceremonial things that a king does, that, you know, Jewish king does of Israel. But you know what? He wasn't really seeking the Lord. He was getting these wives. He was having more children. And with probably with every one of these wives, well, I shouldn't say, well, <laughs> you know, he probably had different problems. I mean, they were coming in from other countries. There were, they were all these different stresses on him. And you know what? You don't see him walking with the Lord, right? You don't see him depending on the Lord. And so this thing comes, right? Absalom, you know, wanting to mount up all the people he feels are against him. And he just says, man, let's jet, man. Let's go. Let's get out of here. And one of the, one of the, the saddest parts about it is in verse 15, he says, And the king's servants, they said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord king commands us you know what man and you know what man i think that was code for you know what if you say fight we'll fight you know he, you know they they heard what the king was saying let's go and you know what they're not going to talk back to the king but in what they were saying there man is you know what we'll die for you and he remember he had those mighty men of valor those mighty men of valor those were some awesome dudes man you read the end of uh second samuel into first kings and you get that list of the mighty men of valor these guys were insane you know i mean these guys were warriors man they were soldiers i mean they were they would they would do anything for david you know i mean man i don't want to go into it man because i'll, I'll be here all night man but these guys man i mean they killed hundreds you know they went into battle you know they weren't afraid of anything and here they are listening to David, and David is saying, man, I'm scared. I'm running. Let's go. And so here his men are, and uh, they're going to follow him wherever he goes. So, you know, let's jump down to uh, verse 23. And here he is. They've kind of packed up, and they're ready to leave. And they're going. In verse 23, and it says, all the country wept with loud voice. And all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kedron. And all the people crossed over towards the way of the wilderness. You know, man, I, that struck out to me. I circled that. That they were going into the wilderness. You know what? Anytime you run, anytime you run, you're going into the wilderness, man. You're going, you're going, when you're running from God, when you're running when you know that, that the answer is to cry out to God and you choose not to do so, man, and you choose to jet, you're going into the wilderness. 
And one of the things I was sharing with one of my brothers this morning was that, you know what? He was taking people with him. You know what? And, and that just struck me because, you know what? As a father, as a dad, you know, you guys as, as brothers, friends, whatever, whatever you are, when you run into the wilderness, you never go alone, man. You're going to take your family with you. You're going to take your wife. You're going to take your sons, your daughters. You don't go alone. And here David was going, and he's taking all these people with him, hundreds with him, and they're going right along with him. Verse 24, it says, There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, hearing the, hear, oh, I'm sorry, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they sat down the ark of God. And Abathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and the dwelling place. This is the sad part. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you. Here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. What is he he's, revol he's resolving himself to? Is that, you know what, man, God may be done with me. You know, he's saying, you know what? They had taken the Ark of the Covenant, right? When he left, he says, grab the Ark, we're going. Remember, that was, that was you know, the Ark of the Covenant was the, the backbone of the Israelite people, right? So he took that with them. And as they're crossing over, he says, you know what, take that back. He tells the people carrying it. He says, take it back to the city, you know? I think, man, it was even kind of a conviction to him to even have it around, you know. And he says, you know, take it back. And he says, you know what, maybe God will bring me back. Maybe he won't. If he's done with me, then he's done with me. You know, right there is where I see just that depression sitting in. Right there, man, it's all, it's all coming to a realization. You know what, man, I'm running from God, and I'm not going to take these things of God with me. You know what, man, because they just they slap me in the face. You know, send it back, and maybe God is just done with me. Jump down to verse chapter 16 and verse 5. Now, David is still on the run. He's, he's still running. He's still moving away. He's like uh, on this march um, out into the wilderness, right? He's running from Absalom. <clears throat> and uh, he comes across this as, as they're on their way in... Uh, in chapter 16, verse 5, we're going to read down through 11. He says, Now when David, uh, now when King David came to Behram, where there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemi, the son of Gerah, coming, uh, coming from there, he came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all of the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left hand. Also, Shemi said, thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom unto the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil. Because you are a bloodthirsty man. He's basically telling him, you know what, there was this, he's saying, you know what, you're getting what you deserve. You know, he's just piling on, 
on David as he's going on. He's saying, man, you know what? For the life that you've lived, for the mess up that you've made, you're paying for it now. And he's throwing rocks at him, man. He's just, he's pouncing him with rocks, man. I mean, it just doesn't get any worse than that. He goes on to say in verse 9, it says, Then Abashai, the son of Zerah, said to the king, this is one of his, one of his mighty men, he says, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. See, I mean, these were some bad dudes. These, are, these were guys that were ready to get down anytime, anytime. And they're, they're basically begging David now. Man, let me just take this guy out, man. He's, he's just he's disrespecting you. He's disrespecting us. Let me take him out. But look what David does. He says, but the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zerah? So let him, so let him curse, because the Lord had said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have, why have you done so? And David said to Abashai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. You know what he's saying right there? He's, he's saying, you know what? Before he was saying, you know what? All right, God may be done with me. But now he's saying, you know what? God is even cursing me. He's saying, man, this bad stuff that's happening to me, this is, this is God. God is doing this. You know, so, I mean, we, talk, we, we said before, this is, I think, where the depression was setting into David, the realization of, of what was happening, of what he had done. And, man, right here, I mean, it's just, uh, it blows me away that um, he just sees all of this, man, just piling on, on him, that all of those regrets that he had. Are, are just mounting up, you know, and, and he says, man, God is like, God is out to get me, you know? And you know what? I think, uh, we've all feeling that way before. I know I have, you know, where, where you feel as though, you know what? I've messed things up so badly. You know what? At the very least, God is done with me, but you know what? It could even get worse where you say, you know what? Now I think God is even out to get me. You know, and man, that that is, uh, uh, man, just a uh, uh, a heaviness, man, that that we talk about depression, man, that that could drive you, man, that could drive you to suicide, you know, where you just feel as though you've given up, where, you know, where you've given up, where you've totally ran away from God. And, and now here you are um, just putting all this weight that uh, of your past on you. Um, so in that I wrote down just a few things that I thought David might be feeling at this time. I try to make it rhyme like Manny or, uh, or at least I'll start with the same letter. I couldn't do it. <laughs> That's a special talent. I think Manny has, but, uh, but you know what? I think he felt embarrassed. You know what? I think he felt embarrassed that this was happening. You know what? That here he is, man. He, he's, he's a king that lives in the palace. And he's on the run now, you know. I think he's embarrassed about that. He has his mighty men of valor. He got his boys around him. And he's hightailing and running. I think he felt ashamed. I think he felt guilty for the father that he had been. He was a, David was a bad father. You know, David was, David, 
I, I, you know what? I really get a lot of comfort from knowing that a lot of these Old Testament guys were jacked up. You know, <laughs> you know, because it gives me hope. It gives me hope. David, man, was the apple of God's eye. But you know what? He wasn't perfect. You know what? He had some mess-ups in his life. You know what? Just like all of us. And he wasn't the best father. So you know what? I think he probably felt some guilt about that. Um, like I said, that shame, I think he felt alone. I think he felt confused. Didn't know where all of this was coming from. Um, I think he felt exhausted. By this time, he was an older man. Um, can you imagine having to pack up your entire family, your servants, hundreds, hundreds of people, you know, to escape? And it sounds like, man, they just did it like in the dark of night, man. We got to get out of here. I think he felt depressed. I think he felt defeated. I think he felt crushed, man, as a father. I think he felt regret, you know. All of these things, all of these things, I think were just welling around inside of him. And so, you know what, I actually wanted to go back and read Psalm 42 again. And I just wanted to do that again, just only so that we can read it again, kind of in that light of what David might have been feeling. And you know what, you can even put yourself into some of these emotions, because you know what, we've all been there. We've all been there, we've all felt those feelings of depression, of guilt, of, of uh, you know, that confusion. And just like David here is, what I love about this is that David is being real with his emotions to God. And you know what? God can handle that. God can handle you being real. You know what? The one thing that, that God can't put up with is being fake because he sees through it. And you know what? And when you get real before God and you, you pour out your emotions before him and you say, Lord, I'm struggling with this, man. I, you know what? I don't, I don't know what's going on. And we read here, and, and as we read here, really pay attention to the words that he uses, man. And, and they, are, they, are, they are just so real, man. They're raw. <clears throat> it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so, my, so, uh, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, he's saying, you know what, my soul, it pants for you, man. It, you know what, there's no greater need than thirst. We could do without food for a long time. Some of us, a really long time. But, but you know what, man, we can't go without water. And what, what David is saying here is he's saying, man, I thirst for you. I can't go without you. Without you, I die. And he's saying, man, my soul is just panting for you. God, where are you? I don't feel you like I used to feel you. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Man, even his emotions were just mocking him. Even by, by the way he felt, they were like just saying, man, where is God? That's a, man, that's a heavy feeling, man. That, you know what, man, everything inside you is saying, man, where, where's this God that you know? He says, and when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitudes I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast that portion right there I thought was just probably one of the saddest because what he's doing is, is he's remembering the good old days he's remembering when he went 
to the altar. He, when he went to the house of God, you know what it says. And he said, man, I used to go to those things, man. I used to sing praises. I used to fill you. You know, I used to, I used to lead the multitudes. Man, I mean, I was on fire, you know. And he said, that's how it used to be. But that's not how it is now, you know. In verse 5, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. You know, in verse 6, he's saying, you know what? I know where you are. You know what? He's saying, you know what? I know you're over here. He's saying, man, you're, you're over in the land of the Jordan. You're at the heights of Hermon. You're in the, the hills of Mizar. I know where you are, you know, but I'm not there, you know. And, I mean, how often... When we walk away, like David was saying, you know, when we've been there where, you know what, man, we've, we've backpedaled, backslid, whatever you want to call it. And we're remembering those good old days, man. I used to know this. I used to be, I used to go to men's retreats, man. I used to go to men's conferences, man. I used to, I used, man, it was so awesome and this and that. But where is he now? You know? And he's saying, I know where you are. You know, when we're, when we're in sin, when we're running from God, you know, last place we're going to be is at church, right? But in the in the backs of our minds, we know, you know what? God is there, you know? God is over there at, at Calvary Chapel, you know? Not because there's anything special about the place, but because his presence are there, because his people are there, you know? And so here David, David is saying, man, I know where you are, God. He says, but right now, I like what he says there about being, he says, all of your waves and billows have gone over me. He's saying, man, I'm I'm in a I'm in a tumble, right? Have anybody ever been to the beach? You know where you're, where you're, uh, you get caught in a wave, a wave breaks over you, man, and you get caught in that thing. They call it, a, I think they call it a, the washing machine, you know, where you're just you're you're spinning, you know, and you don't know which way is up, you know, and a lot of people drown that way because because they get turned upside down, you know, they turn sideways and they they don't know which way to go. And I remember when uh, uh, when I was younger. Uh, I attempted to surf, man, when <laughs> Brother Sean Rayard surfs. And uh, I attempted to surf when I was younger. And uh, I remember one of the guys that was showing me how to surf one time told me, he says, if that ever happens, he says, you know what to do? I said, no. He says, you know what, open your eyes. He goes and swim to the light. He says, you know what, man, because, you know, if you're going down, that's dark. If, you know, the light, you're going to be all right, you know. And so... You know, here David is saying, man, I, I, I'm, I'm in that right now. You know, man, these waves are just coming over me. These billows, all of this is happening. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. He's praying out to God. He's, now, now he's starting to pray to God. And he's starting to say, all right, God, I, I'm in total confusion right here. You know, he says, but, but Lord, this is my prayer. You know what? Let your loving kindness come in the daytime. Let it come in the morning. You know, he's starting to realize it. 
Verse 9, it says, I will go to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceit, deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send your light and your truth and let them lead me. I think right there is the turning point. I think right there is where, you know what? He's coming in the realization of what he got to do. He says, man, let your light come. Let your truth come. Let them lead me. He says, let them bring me to your, to your holy hill. He knows where, you know what? He knows that if he follows that light, if he follows that truth, man, it's going to bring him home. He says, and to your tabernacle, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you. O oh God, my God, why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know what? I got so much more out of that after I kind of read the background of where David might have been at, you know, of knowing what he must have been feeling, like everything was against him. Um, everything was mocking him. Um, it seemed like the cards were stacked against him. And so much of it brought on by himself. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing when, you know what, you're, you're feeling persecuted and you did no wrong. That's one thing. You know, and that's kind of easy to kind of brush off. But when you know that you've brought some of this on yourself, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. Because then that guilt sets in, and the enemy will use that. The enemy will use that to keep you actually away from God. What we see David here doing is turning back to God. So he was, David was going through a lot in these, in these two chapters. Um, over and over again, David says a phrase. That I think was the key. He says over and over again. He says hope in God. Um, that meant a lot to me. Because it just you know coincidentally. I guess there are no coincidences. But but you know we had been going. We're starting First Peter. In, uh, in our men's study on Wednesdays. And in First Peter. Uh, Warren Wiersbe. Um, he actually, you know, he has a B series. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but for every book of the Bible, he got to be whatever, be strong, be diligent, be whatever. And, uh, and for first Peter, it's be hopeful. And, and I just happened to do the, the overview for that. And so that was just fresh in my mind. And then when I had read this, that word hope just kept jumping out at me, you know, as I read this in, in, uh, in Psalms, um, and you know what? Hope is, man, it is, it is a remarkable thing, man, because hope is sometimes all you got. Hope is something, sometimes it's, it's that last thing that you're holding on to. You don't feel God. 
You don't, you don't, you don't see God. All you see is trouble. All you see is your circumstances around you. And it feels like you're in that tumble wash where you don't know which way is up. But what, but what this is saying, what David was saying, is he's saying, man, hope in God. My hope is in God. I looked up the, the definition for hope in, uh, in a Bible dictionary. And I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary. And it was pretty cool because in the Webster's Dictionary, it said wishful thinking. You know, it's, you know, that's what hope is. It's wishful thinking. You know, I wish I had a million bucks. You know, I'm hoping for a million bucks. There's no difference in it. You know, it's like, okay, that's what hope is. What the Bible dictionary said, and I want to read it because I, th- I just thought it was so cool. It says, trustful expectation. A knowledge that what God has done in the past is a guarantee of what he will do for you in the future. And what I was sharing with the guys on Wednesday was that, you know what? God has already done the most miraculous thing on earth for us. You know what? He has saved us. You know what, man? We were going one way and he turned us 180 degrees, right? I mean, we were, we were headed toward death and he gave us life. You know what? We were, we were in sin. Now we're in his righteousness. You know what? Man, he totally, totally changes us. And he does so now little by little every day, you know, as we grow closer and closer to him. But that but that miraculous event that he has done for us, that that saving grace, you know, what, man, that is the guarantee that we can we can trust him. You know, we can put our hope not in our circumstances, not in our situations, not in our feelings, but we can put our hope in God. And God will never let us down. God will never let us down. God is always, always, always looking out for your best interests. You know, he loves you, man. He loves you. And he wants to draw you close to him. He wants to teach you. He wants to change you. Like Manny said, he, you know what? He loves us just as we are. But he loves us too much to keep us that way. That is so amazing, man. That God loves us so much that he's willing to mold us, man. And shape us into the people that he wants us to be. The uh, the word hope, you know, I don't know. I, I was going to go through a few of these, but I'm not even going to. But this this what this is 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 a promise book. You guys ever seen these in the Bible bookstore? These are so cool. It says these are like the Jesus promise books, man. Or I don't know what this was. The Jesus uh, person personal pocket promise book, like two bucks, man, two bucks. And and what it has is just different categories and different promises that you know what scriptures that. Of God's promises to us, like He'll never leave us nor forsake us. You know, all, all of these, all these different promises that you know what, man, we can hold on to. And man, you know what? I go to it. I go to it, man, and I'll just flip it open and I'll start reading. And man, you know what? I'll just start feeling, man, just like, uh, man, the Lord is with me. You know, I can trust Him in some of these things. And you know what? Pick one up. You know, pick one up. Like I said, they're like a buck fifty-two bucks, man. The best investment you'll ever make. You know. But, I mean, there's just some really cool scriptures that you can get to, get to and, and, you know, memorize, hold them into your heart, you know, man, trust in them, pray over them. You know, the best thing to do, I've heard Manny say it before, the best prayers are to pray scripture. You know, tell God, you've promised this to me. You know, remind him 
of, of, of man, what he has said to you. You know, God wants to hear that. That's conversation. That's a relationship that we're supposed to have. You know, remember, like Manny has said, and, and you'll hear from, from a lot of different pastors, we're not here to be religious, man. We're not, we're not here for religion. We're not here to come every Sunday, you know, to put it on our calendar, to check it off, to say that we've been there. You know, we're here for a relationship, and a relationship is a two-way street. You know what I mean? We need to talk to God. We need, like, like David here, to be real with God. Share with him, man, everything that you're feeling, and he's big enough to take it, you know? But anyways, my favorite scripture in all, in all of the Bible is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, And it mentions hope in there. But it was the scripture that changed my life because I don't know how any of you guys grew up. I don't know how you view God. Um, you know, you can get all psychological and say, well, you know, depending on how your father was is how you're going to view God and, and all this other garbage. But uh, But I know that you know what? I had a view of God that he was always ready to bring down the hammer. You know, that, that growing up, I just felt like, man, God is, is up there, man, ready with a thunderbolt, man, ready just to nail you between the eyes. You know what? And that was, that was just the way I viewed him. And when I came back to the Lord, and I really just started seeking him, man, and, and, and just, you know, crying out to him. One, one of the verses that, that jumped out at me was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, man, and I love it. I've hung on to it. And it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And to give you a future and a hope. And that hope, man, like I said, man, that hope is trusting in a God who just wants the best for you. You know, we can, we can trust him. We can trust him with our families. We can trust him with our Everything. We can trust him with everything. Uh, with our kids, with our children, with our spouses, with our jobs, and even our lack of jobs. You know, Manny was talking about today, just so many, it's, it's the economy, it's the way things are right now. It's so tough out there. You know what? And you know what? In those times, man, it was when we cry out and we say, God, where are you, man? You know what? I need you. I need your provision. I need your protection. Where are you? And you know what? God can take it. God can take it. And let me tell you this, man. Just like Manny said today, you know what? He will provide. He will provide. Somehow, some way, he'll come through. My God comes through every day, all day. And we don't always see how. We don't always see when. We can be full of questions, and we can give God those questions. We may not get that answer because we wouldn't understand it if he gave it to us. You know? But you know what? He can take it. Um, so anyways, that was basically 42 and 43 as, as I saw it, man. Um, I thought that, that, uh, it spoke a lot to me, um, just that need in our, in our lives to have that hope, um, and not that hope in our circumstances, not in ourselves even, but our hope has to be in God. Um, Steve was, was really cool, man, because uh, he wasn't planning on coming in and, and doing worship for us, man. But, uh, man, just a very, very cool guy. When I when I begged and pleaded, man, he came over and, and uh, he said, man, you know what? I would love to, man. And But uh, he did have some things he had to, to leave and go do. Uh, so we don't have a closing song. <clears throat> but what I did do is I brought a, a CD. 
um, that uh, uh, Brother Henry, man, or, or Liz actually made for for my wife. And man, it's been such a blessing, you know, because man, those songs on there, man, are just man, they 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 blow you away. Um, but there's a song in there. I don't even know the name of it. I don't know who sings it. But there's a there's one line in there. He says, "Bring your sorrow and your pain. Let me be your everything." And man, it's just it's an awesome song. And so since we didn't have Steve here to to close, uh, what I was hoping is that maybe we can have uh, Brother Ray uh, play that after I pray, and uh, then after that, man, we can go our ways. But uh, but what I want to just uh, encourage you guys to do is that maybe before you leave, before you leave, if you're going through something, man, if you're going something where you need, you know what, you can honestly look at me and you can say, I have no hope. You know, because, man, I, I just don't see the light at the end of this tunnel. And if there's a light, man, it's a train, you know, coming right at me. You know what? Then pray with somebody here. Pray with somebody, man. Grab a brother, man. Grab a friend that, that maybe knows you, that brought you. Uh, grab a sister. Grab whoever. You know what, man? And, and, and take it to the Lord. And I, and I guarantee you, man, God will do a work. He will give you that hope. If you're, if you're lacking in hope, he'll give it to you. You know what? And like I said, sometimes that hope is all that you're holding on to. But you know what? It's enough. It's enough. It's enough to get you through. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for, uh, for your word, Lord. And I thank you for um, the power of your word, Dear Heavenly Father, to know that these men, Lord, of the Bible, who we look up to, Lord, that we revere, Lord, that we put up on pedestals, Dear Heavenly Father, we're, we're still just men, Dear Heavenly Father. And they had fears, Dear Heavenly Father. They had um, discouragement. They had regret. They had... Um, Issues, Heavenly Father, circumstances that seemed overwhelming, Heavenly Father, and at times they failed, and at times we fail, Lord. But Lord, I just pray that we would walk away from this knowing that, Lord, that you are a God, Lord, that that is strong, Heavenly Father. Like like David, David even says, you are his rock. Lord, be our rock, Heavenly Father. Have us be able to stand upon you, Heavenly Father, Lord. Come what may, Heavenly Father, Lord, we may not understand what's happening we may not understand why things are going a certain way why we may be struggling lord with a loved one dearly father or a uh, situation oh, lord but you know oh, lord and help us just to give it to you lord to lay it at your feet dearly father Oh, Lord, and just trust, Lord. You're more than enough, Lord. Oh, you're mighty, Lord, and I thank you for uh, for your loving kindness, Lord, for your mercy and long-suffering that you have with us. Lord, I just pray that you bless everyone here, dear Holy Father, that uh, may have those uh, overwhelming issues, Lord, those circumstances, those loved ones, dear Holy Father, that... Um, or just lost, Heavenly Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would comfort them, Heavenly Father. You would strengthen them. And, uh, Lord, that each one of those circumstances, Lord, in time, would be those same things that we point to to say, Lord, you did this, Heavenly Father. That you were faithful. Ah, Lord, I thank you, Lord. 
for all that you do for us, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.